You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Mark Feinstein, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Josh Stein has spent his entire career with the San Diego Padres, first joining the club as a baseball operations intern in 2003. A San Diego native and lifelong Padres fan, Stein ascended through the front office for a decade before being named assistant general manager in December of 2013, a post he still holds today. I had a chance to sit down with Stein at the Padres complex in Peoria, Arizona, before camps were closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. We discussed his career, working for four different general managers, the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade, and much more. As we wait for baseball to return, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Padres assistant general manager, Josh Stein. Josh, you grew up in the San Diego area. I'm assuming the Padres were your favorite team? Oh yeah, without without a doubt. Favorite uh, favorite sports team, favorite uh, you know, uh, organization to root for, and uh, and yeah, just uh, definitely a, a, a big part of my uh, my childhood. What uh, what were some of your fonder memories of, of being a Padres fan growing up? Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of countless uh, countless memories growing up, but uh, you know, I think in large part, a lot of my fandom kind of you know came through following Tony Gwynn's career, and um, you know, I was kind of a kid in the in the eighties. Um, you you kind of get home um, from school. Uh, find the game the next day. Open up the open up the newspaper. Uh, you know, it was always a box score that was filled with hits and RBIs and runs and, and just a just a great player to, to observe and watch uh, as a kid growing up, falling in love with the game. For our younger listeners, you can tweet me and I'll explain what newspapers and box scores are. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what uh, What was your peak as a player? Uh, peak was uh, was playing in high school. So uh, just through tenth grade, um, was definitely not a not an accomplished ball player. Was uh, one of the uh, one of the rare breeds that uh, that threw left and batted right, so it was a handicap ball player uh, by by definition. Um, but uh, always loved playing the game. Uh, played up up through tenth grade, and and uh, that was the extent of it. You graduated from Cal Berkeley in two thousand with a degree in psychology. Psychology is probably not something people think about as a degree that leads to a career in baseball. What kind of career plans did you envision at the time as you were graduating? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was definitely not thinking about a, a career in baseball um, when I was a, when I was an undergrad. I mean, psychology for me was an interest, and it was uh, something I was encouraged by my parents. Uh, you know, educationally, especially as I got into college, to to take different uh, courses and, and kind of you know be exposed to different uh, different types of classes uh, early in my college career. And I took some psychology classes. Kind of spoke to me. Um, really enjoyed some of the some of the professors and some of the work that was being done uh, in, in that field and in that area and, and ended up uh, choosing to major it in it. Uh, fortunately, as part of uh, being a psychology major, I had to take a number of statistics courses and, and, and you know, math courses as, as prerequisites for that major. And so even though it was not, you know, intentional in terms of thinking about a career in sports or working in baseball, those, those classes were very useful um, as I kind of broke into the game. So after you graduated, you traveled in South America and taught English um, before you decided to attend law school. What was that experience like? What what prompted you to, to do that? Yeah, there's a lot more traveling in South America than, than actually teaching English. That was a, <laughs> that was a short short stint uh, down in Santiago uh, in, in Chile, but 
you know, the traveling in South America more than anything was was just about you know broadening my horizons and and, and seeing the world. Um, it, it was an area that I traveled a little bit in Europe as as an undergrad and had studied in Spain, um, but going down to South America, part of the world that I was very interested in, continuing to to learn Spanish um, and, and work on that skill set uh, at that point in my life. Uh, and then again, just kind of broadening my horizons and learning more, uh, you know, about the world. How did you land your first job in baseball? Uh, so I was a first-year law student uh, up at UC Hastings, and I was probably about two months uh, into into the academic years as a one L, and uh, started uh, started meeting young attorneys uh, that that you know, quite frankly, weren't didn't feel or didn't, it didn't seem were that satisfied with, uh, with the career choice of law. And uh, I started, you know, I was a passionate baseball fan, thinking about the game, reading about the game. You know, that was, that was kind of what I did in my spare time. And uh, I started to, I started to follow certain or see certain people, you know, in the game whose backgrounds didn't sound, you know, that dissimilar to my own. And, uh, you know, just started thinking about it as, as potentially a, you know, a career choice. So um, kind of on a whim, uh, went out and wrote uh, letters to, uh, to general managers, uh, put in, uh, you know, sent my resume along, uh, really thinking it was a, a complete long shot, got a lot of rejection letters as, as, uh, as, uh, as most of your guests uh, have discussed. Right. Uh, it's part of, the, part, of the, part of the deal, part of the game, but ended up getting a phone call from uh, Kevin Towers, who was then the general manager of the San Diego Padres. Actually, thought it was a prank call. Uh, I'd only <laughs> I'd only told a couple of my friends that uh, that I was going to try and uh, pursue this uh, pursue this, you know, in terms of trying to find an internship. And when he called, I kind of had to listen to it a few times to, to ensure it was him. But ended up actually coming down here to Peoria um, uh, during my spring break as, as a first year law student. Um, uh, was unable to actually secure a meeting with Kevin uh, because we'd had an injury. Phil Nevin had, had kind of dove in, in the outfield and uh, separated his shoulder. It was a it was kind of a trying time or a trying week for the, for the Padres organization. Uh, but I saw him sitting by my own plate, um, and I was at the game as a fan. Here was someone who had he'd, he'd called me, he'd left a voicemail. Um, so I went down by my own plate, uh, introduced myself, and. Uh, he was very quick to say, "Hey, grab a seat, Josh. Sorry, I've gotten back to you." Uh, we ended up talking, talking baseball, talking, um, you know, about my background for a couple innings. Um, and he, uh, he he said, "Hey, I want you to get in touch with Fred Yeoman and Jeff Kingston and see if uh, see if we can figure something out." So that was a. Uh, that was kind of the origin story for me. Well, job interview sitting behind the plate. That's pretty good. Yeah, and I was, uh, <laughs> it was it was a special special moment. During that internship, you uh, you wrote game reports and you you helped devise ways for uh, for the team to study defensive performance. I guess kind of creating some defensive metrics or or at least a, pro, a system for them to try to measure that. When you think back to that internship, which part of that sort of struck you the most? What what did you enjoy the most? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was not that well versed um, in kind of the business of baseball. Uh, certainly not compared to some of the interns and some of the people that that we hire, um, you know, nowadays. Who just there's so much more out there, you know, in terms of uh, whether it's scouting reports or uh, you can read the collective bargaining agreement online. Things that you know I just didn't have access to at that point. So it was really a lot of learning. It was a crash course, and you know, kind of kind of the business of baseball. Uh, which I did find interesting and, you know, helping support, um, you know, whether it was the preparing for the salary arbitration process and things like that. 
the one big project that I worked on uh, was yeah it was a it was a defensive uh, uh, analytics project where I was essentially trying to take uh, some of the information that we we felt was very valuable coming from our scouting reports uh, some of the uh, information well it was limited um, that, that you could at the time study um, objectively uh, with defense and try and basically merge or try and build a kind of an internal defensive metric um, the one story I like to tell about that is so kind of the at the very end of my first summer um, alright you gotta make a presentation Kevin Towers uh, some of the scouts you know some of, some of the different folks in the front office so you know, I walked through the, the metric that I created, and I remember that the center fielder that it had ranked first was Andrew Jones, and everyone's like, all right, that, that makes sense, you know, you know, probably the best defensive center fielder at the time. Number two, surprisingly, was, was Mark Kotze, uh, who was our center fielder at the time, and, uh, and, and it was kind of a pleasant, I think everyone thought Kotze was a good uh, defensive outfielder, but, but maybe not quite at that caliber. And uh, so everyone was, yeah, interesting analysis, appreciate all the hard work and everything else. So I go back to school. And I think about two and a half months later, we traded Mark Kotze. So <laughs> I was, uh, you know, very quick to pick up the phone and be like, "Man, I, you know, I thought that he might uh, stick around a little longer after after that uh, piece of work." So. Maybe they sold other teams on how great his defense was they based on this metric. We you never have. know. We might have. Um, you graduated from law school in, in 2005. You'd already worked for the Padres as an intern. Um, as you graduate law school, is it a lock in your mind that? A baseball career is now your focus. Yeah, uh, kind of made that really made that choice after my uh, probably my second kind of internship. So um, had the opportunity to, to go back down and, and work for the Padres. Actually stayed on through the off season and, and ended up going to law school at night. I did a semester down at USD. So by that point, I started to kind of think about uh, this is a career path and and put all the you know the you know law jobs and associate positions kind of uh, on the side. If I'm not mistaken, your first full-time gig with the Padres was as an advanced scouting coordinator Correct. in 2006. What did that job entail? Yeah, so this was at the time uh, where, um, you know, you were really starting to, to, to um, allow for, you know, video and statistics um, to, be, to be merged. And it was the kind of early days of the BAT system, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, and so rather than uh, just having the advanced scout one or two series ahead and writing reports and, and sending them back to the club, which is still something we did at that point, um, I think at that point Kevin Towers, Bruce Boach, who was our manager that year, uh, felt like some of the information we could, we could pull out of this system, some of the video uh, that we could support um, you know, from an advanced scouting standpoint, it just made more sense uh, to, to bring it in-house and, and hire someone like myself or with the skills that I had uh, to just coordinate the entire entire operation. So, Following the 2009 season, you're named Director of Baseball Operations. Four years later, you're promoted to Assistant General Manager. What did that mean to you to be able to ascend through the, through the front office to the point where you have an AGM title? Yeah, I mean, like, like we kind of touched on at the outset, I mean, um, yeah, I grew up in San Diego. So this is very, uh, uh, working for the Padres is a very... Uh, you know, it definitely has, has been personal and something that I, I take a lot of pride in, in the work that I do. And uh, and so to be able to kind of, you know, work my way up from, again, an internship to, to assistant general managers, it is something I'm proud of. I think that, you know, there's a lot of good fortune um, kind of along the way, being in the right place at the right time. 
Um, that definitely has factored. Um, I think there's been, you know, for the organization, there was some ups and downs uh, kind of in that, in that time period. Um, there was a lot of people coming in and out of the organization. Uh, but for, you know, someone like myself who, again, I'm just going to try and do the absolute best at whatever I'm, you know, essentially charged with, uh, with doing at that moment, uh, more and more opportunities, uh, you know, were presented for, for me. You mentioned Kevin Towers before. Uh, he had a, a major impact on pretty much everybody he ever came in contact yeah, with. No uh, what did you learn the most working for Kevin? Man, it's uh, I learned a ton uh, working working with KT. Um, you know, I think probably the biggest thing is is just how you treat people. I know that's a very simple um, answer that has. He taught me a ton about baseball. He taught me a ton about you know looking for certain things in players, um, uh, but. If I had to really go back to just one thing, you know, I, I would say it was the way he treated treated people. Um, he was open minded. Uh, he uh, sought opinions and and you know different vantage points uh, from people with different backgrounds. Um, and you know this has been alluded to by Theo Epstein and others that have worked for him. But I mean, he definitely you felt it when you were in in his presence and in his orbit. And uh, it was just it was a it was a good place to be. You were talking baseball. You were talking about something that clearly, you know, everyone in that room was very passionate about. He sought your opinion, um, made you feel, even if you were an intern or an entry-level employee, uh, that you mattered. And, and um, you know, again, when you're young and breaking in and learning about the game, I mean, that's that's really a pretty powerful uh, powerful thing to come from an executive. KT was the first GM you worked for, but you've actually worked for four GMs here. I have. Uh, KT, Jed Hoyer, Josh Burns, now A.J. Preller. It, it seems like it's a rarity for someone to remain with a club through four different regimes. Uh, what has it meant to you that every time a new GM has taken over, they've thought enough of you to, to you know, keep you on and, and keep you as an important part of this team? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's, uh, you know, from my vantage point, it just is, it's, it's about doing the work and, and doing it to the best of my ability. Um, so whether that was, you know, as, a, as an intern or, or entry-level employee with, with Kevin, um, I think when, when, I didn't know Jed Hoyer, um, you know, when he came in, obviously got to know him uh, very, very well in the, in the time we worked together. But, you know, I think, you know, when that transition occurred, um, you know, my sense is that uh, he's coming into a new organization. Uh, he's looking around and taking stock of, of, you know, what exists in the front office. And, again, just having the mentality of work hard, do good work, um, and not really, you know, concern myself with, uh, with titles or aspirations for something more, um, you know, it, it, it gets rewarded. Uh, and that's been, I think, a little bit the story of my career is, uh, is, is not to necessarily focus on the next job, the next title, um, but to, to do, you know, what I've been tasked with, with doing to the best of my ability. So that's one of my favorite questions because it just sounds so ridiculous as you read it off. But your responsibilities, according to your bio, sure. include all areas of baseball ops, including player procurement, contract negotiations, roster management, player development. You also manage the team's R&D initiatives and Major League Advanced Scouting operations. It's a lot of stuff. How do you balance so many things at one time? Yeah, again, a lot of, a lot of the, the elements of this job um, are supporting a process and supporting people. Um, so, you know, certainly on the Major League side, you know, that's supporting, you know, our, uh, our general manager, manager, um, you know, in any of the initiatives. It could be, you know, analysis coming out of the R&D department. It could be, you know, tweaking a, a, an element of the advanced scouting project, process. 
um, but it's working, you know, with very talented people in those departments that are overseeing others, uh, just to ensure that uh, that you know the practices of the Padres are are uh, are best in class and, and what we want them to be. Um, but you know, the job of the assistant general manager, um, you know, is is I think it varies uh, really team to team, and and again. I have certain certain components um, that that are you know directly under my purview, and then and then a lot of it is just supporting amateur scouting, supporting player development, supporting professional scouting. You know, really in any manner um, uh, that that I can. You uh, you also coordinated the Padres arbitration efforts. What's the process? I mean, people people know what arbitration is. They know sort of how it works to some extent. Sure. But from a club side, what's the process of preparing a case once you realize you need to go to a hearing yeah so uh you know and again that does vary from from team to team as well um but we've done uh the large majority of our, our preparations internally uh, so um you know it's 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 a really it's an exercise in in determining a, a proper salary uh, that's really what salary arbitration is and if you uh if you can't negotiate a settlement um, you prepare essentially a case. It, it's gotten to the point now of, of being less um, like a legal brief and less uh, like a long written document and more honestly of a presentation, kind of a PowerPoint or slide presentation where you're making the case. And again, the, the criteria are all laid out in the basic agreement, um, relatively straightforward. Largely what, what you're focusing on is, is comparable players and comparable salaries um, to, 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 again, try and try and reach a you know fair resolution um, you know with with a player um, so that's you know when you get past the exchange date and you start to prepare a case you're really starting to prepare you know a deck of slides uh, trying to make as compelling argument as you can it's straightforward but at the same time arbitration hearings can get contentious at times as well is there ever a concern when you have to go to a hearing with a player that there's going to be some lingering hard feelings between the two, or between the, certainly from the players' side. Yeah, I think that, I'm sure there's a concern. I, I do think most, and uh, in, in in my career, in the instances that uh, that we've gone to hearings and conversations that I've had with players afterwards, again, I think there's a degree of um, professionalism that you can certainly maintain throughout the process, and and I think when both sides understand um, kind of their roles, uh, you know, in the process, I think it, you know, they don't tend to be the hard feelings I think sometimes and, and I fortunately haven't had a case that's gone to a hearing uh, that's that's ended up um, you know going kind of or getting close to that line where you may need to talk about certain elements that are, again only you know those that are are outlined in, in the collective bargaining agreement but that might start to touch on off the field issues or things like that um, and that's where I, you know, I could see it, you know, potentially, you know, some lingering feelings, uh, you know, going beyond beyond that hearing. Uh, in June of 2014, right in the middle of the season, the Padres dismissed Josh Burns as GM. You were among the voices in the room leading up to the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys made three trades that July, including a deal that sent Chase Headley, who was a popular player out here, to the yeah. Yankees. What was it like for you and as the group to be approaching a trade deadline without? A full-time GM in place. Yeah, I mean, we had, uh, you know, and I think this is a, a credit to Josh uh, Burns. Um, you know, those of us that were really involved in that in that process at the time. I mean, we had been talking about trades, you know, collectively as a group for for really years. Um, so, at the time, it was Fred Yulman, Omar Minaya, AJ Hinch, uh, and myself uh, that that uh, continued to really uh, just kind of try to spearhead. 
our efforts, uh, you know, to make good decisions on behalf of the Padres and the organization. But we'd been we'd been talking about trades, um, you know, for years as a group. So it really wasn't really that different. I think the one change was you started to have, you know, outbound, um, you know, one person in the group would, would reach out to a club rather than at all, you know, the bulk of the communication going through Josh. But um, as it related to weighing in, again, that was something that Josh and, and many of the other GMs I've, I've worked with, again, they want they want your opinion, they want your take. Um, so from the standpoint of, uh, you know, was it, was it all that different? It was just a group of people um, weighing in on, on these baseball decisions. After that season, you were one of seven candidates that were brought in to interview for that GM job. Yeah. I've heard from varying degrees of what GM interviews are like. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that process like for you? I mean, obviously they knew you, you had been here. I had been here, yeah. No, and again, I, I was an internal candidate, you know, so I think, you know, going in, you probably feel like, hey, you know, maybe it's a check the box kind of interview and, and, you know, they just, you know, maybe want to pick my brain and, and things like that. But, you know, with that ownership group with, you know, with Ron Fowler, Peter Seidler, uh, at the time Mike D was involved in the interview process as well. Uh, they certainly didn't make it feel like a check the box uh, kind of interview. You know, we spent the entirety of the day uh, talking about, uh, you know, the current state of the Padres and the club. And, and they certainly sought my opinion in a lot of different areas, but, uh, they really wanted to hear my vision and, and ideas about you know ways in which uh, you know, I felt like we could we could you know take the ball club in, in certain directions that um, you know that, that I believed in and uh, and and so it was a for me it was a great experience um, that's what I you know mentally you know always kind of chalked it up up to uh, I didn't uh, just handicap and I figured you know if you're going to make a change um, you know, because of you know underperformance or uh, because you questioned some of the decision making, you know, I didn't feel like as an internal candidate I had a great shot. Uh, but by the same token, it was a, it was an opportunity for me to sit back, reflect, think about the things that that, that are very important to me um, in terms of uh, this game and and, and this business, uh, and to um, kind of pull that together and and to to present that uh, to our ownership group. So. Uh, even though I didn't get the job, I think that uh, ultimately, you know, what came of it was a positive experience for me. What kind of impact did the late Don Welke have on you? Coach, uh, Coach Welke, uh, and yeah, for the listeners, a big smile just broke broke <laughs> broke out on my face because, uh, you know, Don was a um, Don was a very special uh, individual. Um, you know, there's been a lot of positives. Um, you know, with AJ coming over, and, and I think the direction that, that we've taken the franchise um, in the last five seasons. Uh, but you know, Don's right up there. Um, you know, with, with any of them, he was a um, really just kind of a magical person. Uh, you know, from the standpoint of, of clearly having scouted and and, and seen everything uh, there is to see. You know, in this game of baseball. But um, again. I think the the type of person he was and the relationships that he built, um, again, the youngest employees, the most senior employees, everyone in between, um, there was things that, again, you you reminded of certain things early in my career with Kevin Towers, and you're seeing those same kind of skill sets, and again, somebody who's you know revered and, and very well respected, and it's just confirmation of, of the types of... Uh, types of characteristics uh, that you want to embody um, when you work in this game and, and coach was uh, he's a special man and uh, I was very fortunate I you know I met him at the end of his career 
but you know he was still very wise and learned a ton and um, you know was 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 very fortunate to work with him. 2016, you guys trade James Shields for a 17 year old shortstop that didn't really raise any eyebrows at the time. Nobody really thought much of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys believe you were acquiring a potential franchise player when you got Fernando Tatis Jr.? I don't think I don't think you ever. If you're trading for a player at that age, I don't think you're you're necessarily uh, thinking franchise player. Or, you know, we did uh, think very highly of Fernando Tatis at the time, uh, and again, that was that was based on some scouting looks uh, that we had gotten. Um, I talked about AJ coming over and some of the you know some of the real positives I think that that have occurred here in that time. You know, we started scouting um, uh, instructionally, and we started scouting extended spring training in a way that, that quite frankly we just weren't um, and I'm not sure many organizations were um, you know back at that time so um, you know we had some looks at, at Fernando Tatis even uh, kind of the, the fall before um, you know that 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 trade and then and then we had multiple looks at ex- in, in extended spring training and uh, so I even though he had not played a you know a game at that point I he was our focus in that trade, even though we, you know, there was other players involved. Um, I don't think you ever anticipate trading for a player at that age and saying impact or you know future all star things of that nature. But the tools were there. Um, you know, we could see certain certain skills developing uh, back in these uh, in these chain link games, and we were very excited to acquire him at that point. What's it been like over the past three or four years to watch him develop and blossom into the player he is becoming? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something you, you definitely um, you know as an organization, it's he's he's a caliber player that that I don't think we've had um, uh, in here in San Diego in my time. Um, so uh, just in terms of um, definitely the physicality that that jumps out, and then that's really come on in the last couple of years. Um, I don't think when we acquired him, we we you know necessarily thought we were getting kind of a six foot four. Um, you know, beast, uh, you know, of a human being um, in terms of just his physical abilities and, and things of that nature. I think we, we knew we were getting a, a talented athlete, um, but he's really, through hard work and training and, and certain genetic gifts, I mean, uh, become, you know, a very, very impressive physical player. Uh, but, you know, Fernando's got uh, exceptional makeup. He's a very hard worker. Um, he's got, obviously, the, the bloodlines and, and the pedigree of, of a father that played in the major leagues. And I think that you know, some of that, uh, well, it certainly kind of is tied into, to, um, you know, the genetics and probably some degree of athleticism. I think that um, you see with him the way in which he responds to different situations. You see the way in which he um, handles himself in the clubhouse. You see the way in which he kind of um, is around veterans, around coaches, around, you know, clubbies and, and – you start to see why um, bloodlines are important. Um, certainly, Fernando, you know, embodies a lot of that. In 2018, the biggest deal the Padres had ever signed to a player, free agent or extension or anything, I believe, was Will Myers, seventy-three million dollars. Mm-hmm. You guys signed Eric Hosmer to an eight-year, hundred and forty-four million dollar deal, beginning mm-hmm. in 2018, mm-hmm. and then a year later, broke that record, more than double, signing Manny Machado, ten years, three hundred million. What did those signings signify? for the Padres and how, um, I guess, how you think people looked at, at the club in terms of, you know, willingness to go out there and make a big move like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a for a 
uh, very short uh, while. I think we actually had the record for the largest uh, free agent contract in, in, in professional right. sports, quickly broken and, and everything <laughs> else. But, you know, again, growing up as a San Diegan, thinking about, um, you know, the Padres, that, that, that was definitely a disconnect. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, free agent signings of that magnitude, uh, those ultimately, those are organization-wide decisions. Those are uh, definitely baseball decisions, um, but there is a you're, you're talking ownership throughout and walking them through. Listen, this is the uh, this is the um, way in which we believe these players are going to impact uh, the club. These are the types of people that we're investing in, uh, because that's a big part of, of any investment. Obviously, of of, of those you know caliber, uh, you're not just investing in, in the baseball player, but you're investing in the person and, and what you believe they're going to bring to your organization, to your community, uh, how they're going to represent themselves to the fan base. So uh, those are both very exciting um, uh, kind of deals, and they, and they both occurred right uh, right at kind of the eve of spring training. AJ has told a story about calling you at 5 a.m. during the winter meetings in 2018 in Vegas uh, and just saying, let's just sign Machado. Mm-hmm. Did you think he was crazy? Did you think it was like, uh, have you been up a little too long or you know, hanging out at the blackjack tables a little too long? I mean, I'm used to getting the, the early morning calls from AJ, so it wasn't, uh, it certainly wasn't, uh, the, the timing wasn't crazy. I think that, you know, the concept uh, uh, was, was a little bit out of left field. We, we knew we were looking to upgrade third base, and that, that had been a focus for us, you know, kind of entering the offseason, and the large majority of our focus uh, up to that point had been the trade market, um, and talking to a number of teams uh, about either established players or young players, and uh, we did. We found that we found the prices. Again, you're building a farm system. You're you're thinking about the future. You're trying to, um, as much as possible, accumulate as many players as you can. Uh, and so to to trade a number of those um, at that point, um, the costs were kind of prohibitive. And uh, you know the way we you know the way we kind of looked at it was you know that was an avenue that might not be available. You start looking at free agents. You know AJ went to the very top of the list, and and it was Manny Machado. So. Um, yeah, it did take me back a little bit, um, you know, thinking about it at, at five in the morning in Las Vegas. But, uh, you know, the more that we dug on Manny, the more that we talked to, to those that have been around him in Baltimore and those that have been around him in, in Los Angeles and those that have been around him in Miami when he was, when he was young and coming up, I think the more comfortable we got um, going to ownership and starting to, to have a very serious conversation about, about signing him. So you have those conversations. Ultimately, you do sign him. What what's the feeling when when you get the word from from Manny and his camp? I'm in. Yeah, you know, we is it, it was an odd situation. We actually, I think, found out um, uh, or kind of it broke in an odd way uh, that almost we were we were kind of hearing about it uh, live through Twitter and, and through different sources. So we had a good sense, um, kind of very. Uh, I forget it was late in the evening or early in the morning um, just in terms of when you start when you're negotiating deals and you, and you get down to kind of the nitty gritty and start talking about some of the real finer points of, of, a, of a contract you have a sense um, that, that it's looking good um, but we we found out um, uh, and it was unofficial uh, but we we kind of heard hey he's, he's coming to the Padres uh, the, early the next morning uh, kind of as the world did so so at that point, you're just saying, man, I hope he passes the physical. Hope he passes the physical. <laughs> and hopefully hopefully what I'm reading is, is accurate. So right. we had a good sense that it was, but yeah. 
You said during last year's Sabre convention that you consider your front office to be a bunch of information hounds. Uh, with all of the data that's now available out there, can there be such thing as too much information? Uh, I think there can be. Um, but, uh, you know, I, again, I think that it just depends. You know, information is, is, is great. I think that it's how you, how you ultimately use that information, right? How you apply it to, to decision-making, um, you know, is, is really, uh, you know, that's what I think ultimately probably separates, you know, different organizations or different businesses. I think we're in an age where there's a ton of data. There's a ton of information coming in. Uh, from a lot of different sources, uh, and I think that you know one area in which you can dif- differentiate yourself, um, whether it's baseball or whether it's in any business, is, is how you utilize that information, which certainly is, is in that data, which is certainly very valuable and can be very predictive in, in our business of kind of what's gonna what's gonna happen next. Um, with uh, with information uh, that might be a little bit more subjective, um, but uh, but is gathered. Uh, through very trusted means, and, and in, again, in baseball, that's the scouts. Uh, so, probably when I was talking about you know our organization kind of being information hounds, we do we seek out a lot of information. A lot of it's uh, you know kind of of the data or analytic type, and a lot of it is, uh, is is from our scouts. Players are constantly trying to improve areas of their game that they feel need improvement. Sure. When you look at your game, so to speak all of the things that you do in your job, what's one area that you would like to try to improve? Uh, great question. You know, I think that the, uh, w- w- you know, probably the biggest area for me uh, is, is just, again, living up to some of the, the ideals of, of some of the, you know, some of the folks that I've worked with, whether it's, again, you mentioned Don Welke. Uh, we talked about Kevin Towers. Uh, but it really is trying to, to trying to live up to some of those ideals, um, you know, that I that I saw in them, embodied in them. It's how you treat people. It's it's being open minded. It's knowing that, um, you know, really good ideas coming, you know, can come from anywhere, uh, and making sure that um, that whether it's you know people that I report up to or people uh, that report up through me uh, feel very comfortable to share uh, their ideas, uh, what they're passionate about, um, and and really try to work. Uh, work to embody you know what those uh you know what those those mentors and people that i've worked with um really were all about you alluded to this a little bit before but being a guy who grew up in san diego loves tony Gwynn, big padres fan what's it been like to spend your entire career with your hometown team does he ever do you ever sort of step back and think about that for a minute i do you know and 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 yeah i definitely um I consider myself to be incredibly fortunate, um, you know, again, with uh, with the nature of this industry and, and the nature of, of jobs in this industry and typically having to kind of bounce around to uh, to ascend and, and to move up in an organization and having been able to find uh, opportunities for growth, um, you know, in San Diego and with one team. Yeah, it's been very, very kind of meaningful for me. You've interviewed for a GM job. Do you have aspirations of being a GM? Is that an important thing for you to do someday? You know, it's it's funny if you'd asked me that um, ten years ago, I'd have said absolutely. Um, you know, I think that uh, when I was first breaking into baseball, you were you were reading about uh, G, you know, you know whether it was John Daniels or, or Theo Epstein or, or Paul D. Podesta and people becoming GMs in their twenties and early thirties, and you're kind of your clock's ticking, saying, "Wow, this is something I really want to do. I better get on it." Um, 
but no, I, you know, I think that, you know, for me, um, you know, it's, it's really just about trying to win a championship. Um, that's what I want to be a part of is, is an organization uh, here in San Diego, a front office here in San Diego that, uh, that puts a, puts a team together uh, that brings really the first um, professional sports championship to the city of San Diego. Certainly that's a, that's a very you know personal for me um, as well as a, a big professional goal. Um, and so well, certainly being a GM is, is a goal and, and, and an idea that you know I would aspire to. Um, yeah, I'm really more about I think trying to work with people. Um, that I enjoy working with, that I uh, that I share um, passion for the game of baseball with, uh, and you know if that's uh, if that's in a GM chair, an assistant GM chair, uh, or really any chair working in the game that I love, um, I'll, I'll be I'll be fine. The Padres haven't been to the postseason since 2006. You've brought in some very high-profile players. Yeah. You've built up a star-studded farm system with some young guys who have already started to make an impact in the big leagues. How important is it to end that streak and get back to the postseason? Uh, it's, it's vital. I mean, you don't, you don't get to the postseason, you can't do what I just talked about, which, right. is, uh, which is hoist the trophy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, listen, there's been a real um, you know, gap in terms of having competitive uh, baseball in San Diego. And I, and I think that, you know, with A.J., about four or five years ago, um, recognizing that we did need to take a, a step um, back and start to build uh, internally. And, and um, I think we're coming out of that. I think uh, certainly the free agent signings that, that we discussed uh, were a big part of that. Uh, and then I think some of the trades uh, that we've made this offseason, um, you know, we're starting to build a more complete team and roster. I think we're kind of getting out of just the kind of pure talent accumulation uh, period of the, of the organization and, and starting to put um, kind of a more complete team together. So I feel like we're getting closer. Um, and, yeah, it's, 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 it's why we all do these jobs is to, is to you know, try and win baseball games and, and get to the postseason and ultimately win a championship. In the bigger picture, the Padres have never won the World Series. Putting aside what it would mean to you personally or as a front office, yeah. what do you think it would mean to the city of San Diego if they were able to win the World Series? Yeah, sorry, think, if you were able to win the World Series. No, absolutely. Um, I think it'd be, yeah, it would be a big deal. Um, you know, the again for for folks in San Diego that have that have you know were there in '84, you know were there in '98, you know saw the way in which the fan base um, really rallied around. You know those teams and those players. Um, you know, I think you know obviously the Chargers, San Diego Chargers leaving town. Um, yeah, it was a little. That was definitely a little bit of a blow. I think to the kind of uh, the psyche of, of the San Diego sports fan. So you know, listen, the Padres are are you know we are uh, professional sports in San Diego. We're a big big chunk of it. And so I think to um, to win a championship would be would be massive. Um, you know, I think that it would. Uh, um, it certainly is something that uh, for myself, my friends, um, people I talk to in the community, uh, it's something uh, I think we all talk about, you know, when it happens, what it's, what it's going to feel like and what it's going to be like. And, and, you know, I think lifting a burden that's, uh, that's been, on, uh, been on the city for a while. Um, and, and so I think it's going to be pretty meaningful. Josh, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Many thanks to Josh Stein for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. Coming up this season, I'll welcome a number of executives around the league, including Oakland's Billy Owens, the White Sox's Chris Getz, the Cubs' Craig Breslow, the Angels' Eric Chavez, and many more. 
You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinsand. Stay safe, everybody.